He is beautiful, isn't he? Our precious Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. The scriptures tell us in Colossians 1, verse 16, for by him, speaking of Jesus, were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. It includes us. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. And Father, we come to you with humble hearts. We want you to be exalted. Lord, our desire is as your desire, that you would have preeminence in every area of our life, Lord. Not simply prominence, but preeminence above all things. And and help us to surrender these hearts to you, Lord. We call you Lord. And there's a great implication, and that is that you are our master and we are your servants. Help us to serve you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Blessed Sunday. It's good to be here, isn't it? Well, that it is, but more importantly, we're here to worship Jesus, right? Amen. Football's Amen. later. <laughs> as, uh, as Doug had shared, and Don, thank you for, for that, what you shared. I mean, Caring Choices, what an incredibly important organization that is. And I don't know if you, you noted the statistic there. You know, through Caring Choices and others like them, 42 million babies have been saved. And I'm so grateful that we can, and we as a body, we support them as Pastor Ann shared. But, you know, as Doug shared, there's a men's course coming up, and I was part of that. I took one back in 2020 with Doug, and what it took for me was, you know, very personally, uh, that God had to really get a hold of my heart, and I needed to humble myself before him and admit. And guys, let's face it, sometimes it's hard for us as men to admit we need help. Right, And I recognized, because God had showed me that I needed help. And the Word of God says that He is our present help in time of trouble. Don't you love that about our God? Present help, now, 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 now. Every moment, He's our present help. So I praise Him for that. Family, if you would, open up your Bibles to the book of Acts chapter 11. And this morning we're going to be studying verses 21 through 24. I originally thought maybe we could get through the end of the chapter, but there's just so much in these verses as, as we're reintroduced to a man named Barnabas. And that's the title of today's message, a man named Barnabas. Well, what about Barnabas? What can we learn from him and what can we learn about him? And there's a lot to learn. But last time we met, we saw the focus of the church shift from the city of Jerusalem. Remember, they, back in the early part of Acts, the disciples gathered in the upper room in Jerusalem, and the Holy Spirit came upon them and said, now go therefore and, and preach the gospel to every creature. I'm, be witnesses of me. I've given you my spirit. I've given you my power. Now go and do it. Well, the gospel is beginning to spread here. And the shift, the, the, excuse me, the center of focus now becomes the city of Antioch, about 300 miles north of Jerusalem. As I mentioned, Antioch uh, was a very commercial city. 
as was Corinth too. And with the commercialism, with all the, all the business dealings going on, they're introducing to, or introduced to a lot of immorality. So Antioch became a, a very, was a very pagan and immoral city. But, you know, God had a purpose. And through the persecution of, at the hands of Saul, you know, Stephen, of course, was, was martyred. As persecution hit, well, Christians began to scatter, and when Christians scatter, so does the gospel. And praise God for that. So persecution drove them there, and God had a purpose. And that purpose, yes, it was that the gospel would be spread. God was in it. So I want to read verses 19 through 21, and then we'll continue on in a bit. It says, Now they which were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, preaching the word to none but unto the Jews only. And we spent some time talking about that. And some of them were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, which when they were come to Antioch, spake unto the Grecians, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them. And a great number believed and turned unto the Lord. Hallelujah. A great number believed and turned unto the Lord. In verse 21, it confirms to us that, that God had his hand on them. Speaks of God's power. His hand speaks of his authority, speaks of his power. But here it also mentions that it indicates that it had God's favor. And God's hand alone was greater than the wickedness that was found in the city of Antioch. And you see, family, truth, truth, according to God's word, is able to pierce, pierce the darkest of dark. Truth is able to pierce the most wicked of wicked. Some of the people, as we see in Verse 20, it says, and some of them. You know, they chose, the, they, they were going to minister to the Gentiles. So this, some of them, we talked about it this length last week, but they stood against the wickedness. They, they stood against the corruption of Antioch. And how do they do it? Did they go out with signs and pickets and threatenings? No, no, no. They went and they preached the gospel. They preached the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you know, when we think about wickedness, we don't have to fear wickedness. Wickedness does not have the final say in human history, either short-term or long-term. God has the final say. And you, and you see, wickedness always sows seeds that lead to its own destruction. Always. Wickedness can ultimately prepare a person's heart for the seed of the gospel. You know, as, as dark as our lives may have been, how glorious it is when the light of the gospel pierces these hearts that the Bible describes as desperately wicked and who can know them. And we have those hearts. But so, I'm so thankful that God takes these hearts that, that we have and he does something wonderful. Hearts that are full of wickedness and he brings light. The light of the gospel, the light of truth, he brings love. He brings goodness. 
and grace. And all of those things, they lead where? They lead to Christ. They lead to salvation. And I am so grateful, and perhaps you are too, that God doesn't just leave us. He doesn't abandon us in our wickedness. No, he saves us from ourselves. And you see, sin never, ever prospers. Never. Sin always leads to destruction. But praise God that the hand of the Lord was on these people that we're reading about in the book of Acts, and his hand is with us too. A great number believed and turned to the Lord. And you see, the, these folks that are mentioned here, that though these some that went out and shared with the, the Gentiles, they were committed to the Lord and the work of the Lord, and what happened were blessings followed. When I think about the city of Antioch and you know, the immoral nature that we find there, there was idolatry, there was occult practices, there was an immorality. And when I think of those things, I can't help but think that we live in a present-day Antioch, don't we? So what does that mean? Well, if, if the gospel can pierce the city of Antioch, the gospel can pierce the hearts of those in this Antioch, so to speak. And let's face it, we have an ever-changing moral fiber in our nation, and it's not changing for the better. You've probably noticed that. I see people's dependence on the, the government rather than God. I, I see people's dependence upon themselves, their own abilities. And by the way, any abilities we have, where do they come from? They come from God. Yet so many depend upon themselves and say, it's, it's me, it's, it's not about anybody else, it's about me, not about God. And when we talk, talk about success these days, you know, success is measured in many ways. Um, it's measured in financial terms. I mean, let's face it, the, the people that, that are considered to be the most successful are the ones that have the most amount of money. God doesn't look at it that way. Success is measured differently. Success today is often uh, measured in, you've heard the expression, what's trending now, right? I mean, it's a, it's a term that's used all over the place in social media. What's trending now? But I can't help but think that wickedness is trending now. Wickedness is popular. But you'll never hear that broadcast in the airwaves, will you? But you know what, family? The need of the hour, and this is so important, the need of the hour is for the church to reset our sights on the truth of the gospel. To zero in, to focus in on the truth of the gospel, scriptural truths. No more extra biblical movements. No more understatement of the gospel. No more understanding of or backing off on the gospel of salvation, understatement of sin, or understatement of the need to repent. None of those things can take place or should take place. No more. We need to honor the scriptures. We need to honor the gospel. We need to walk with our Lord all the days of our life. And then, and then family, we're going to see change taking place. But where does it start? It starts right here. It starts right here, and we can say no to the things that we ought to say no to. 
and say yes to Jesus Christ. We as individuals, we have a personal responsibility to the Word of God. We are to believe the Word and to approach it through action by faith. James calls us to be doers of the Word, doesn't he? Not hearers only. So it, James, in saying that, he, what he's saying is it's possible to believe something and never act on it. Think about Jesus when he spoke to Nicodemus and he said, Nicodemus, you must be born again. Well, many people believe that Jesus spoke those words, and yet a relatively small percentage of the population will act on it. Well, what should we do? Should we be discouraged? No, don't be discouraged. We are never, ever, ever instructed to abandon the gospel. We're to keep on. We're to keep on sharing it and leave all the results in God's hands. We have a responsibility just to share, but the results of the work of the, uh, that God is doing through his word, that's up to him. It's between him and any individual. We can't control the results. All we can do is do what God has asked us to do. And you see, the well of salvation has not dried up. So be faithful. This group that we talked about here called Some of Them, they were faithful to share. And what happened was a great multitude, a great number believed, they turned to the Lord. And wouldn't it be a wonderful thing if the church would always keep things as simple as we see here in the book of Acts? What led the great number of people to come to the Lord? There's a proclamation of the grace of God through the gospel. That's all. Nothing else. They didn't depend on things that so many depend upon these days in order to attract people. You know, if we attract, try to attract people by doing stuff, what happens? Well, they might be attracted to your stuff, but then you get bored with your stuff, you got to do more stuff. But you know, the gospel's alive. The gospel's always fresh. The word of God is always fresh. It's alive and sharper than any two-edged sword, so what do we do? Well, what people come in to hear, it's how we keep them. Just keep feeding, 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 loving Jesus, embracing Jesus. This is what we have to do. Not just here, but in our personal lives too, family. They did this one thing well. They went forth preaching Christ and him crucified. And what God did, he set his seal on that message and he brought them to the saving knowledge of his dear son, Jesus Christ. Praise God. Let's look at verse 22. Acts chapter 11, verse 22. It says, then tidings, in other words, word or news of these things came to the ears of the church, which was in Jerusalem, and they sent forth Barnabas, that he should go as far as Antioch. Well, when the news of this, this great work in Antioch began to reach the city of Jerusalem. And as you know, it created quite a stir among the brethren. They had already rebuked Peter, remember? You don't send the gospel. You don't even company with the Gentiles, and Peter did. God instructed him to do so. And then when they heard it, they had a tough time with it, as you know. The gospel went to Cornelius and his family, and they got saved. The, the Gentile Pentecost, it's called. 
But they didn't stand against what they heard when the word got to them. They didn't write it off. What they did was this. They realized they were a little bit uncertain of what actually happened. Was this a real thing? Is this the real deal? So they said, well, listen, we're going to do this. We're going to send this man named Barnabas, an encourager, son of consolation, he's called, a brother in Christ, a trusted brother. We're going to send him up to Antioch to check it out, to make sure that what's been reported coming out of there was really a work of God's Holy Spirit and not some work of the flesh. So they trusted Barnabas. They decided, hey, you're, you're the guy to go up to Antioch and assess this work. And here's what Barnabas found. Let's look at verse 23. <clears throat> it says, who, when he came, speaking of Barnabas, had seen the grace of God, was glad and exhorted them all that with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord. There is a lot in this verse. Now think about this for a minute, though. How can anybody see the grace of God? Grace is God's undeserved favor. But to be sure, we can't see grace any more than we can see love or we can see hatred. But we can see the effects of love, can't we? We can see the effects of hatred. So what did Barnabas see? It says, he saw as we can also. The grace of God manifested how in changed lives of those that received and believed the gospel. You see, the gospel proves itself through reproduction, doesn't it? It goes on and on and on by virtue that it is, it is a saving word. And the gospel, as it's received, is evidence, is evidence of God's grace. Romans 1.16, Paul the Apostle said, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. What's Paul saying? Hey, this gospel is potent. It's powerful. And when Paul wrote to the Romans... Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he said, it is the power of God unto salvation. And when he says it is the power of God unto salvation, it means it and it alone is that power. In other words, no gospel, no salvation. That's why Paul, the apostle, was so strong in his letter to the Galatian church. And he said this in Galatians 1. Verses 6 through 9, he said, I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that, <clears throat> that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. As I said before, so say I now again. If any man preach any other gospel unto you than you have received, let him be accursed. Family, there is one gospel. One. And any modification of it, either to add to it or to take it away, it's not the gospel at all. We need to understand this because it's then empty. It lacks God's power and it's useless in changing lives. It's not about telling stories of how good our God is, and he is good, 
And we ought to proclaim his goodness. But by sharing with someone that God is good doesn't mean that they're going to come to Christ. You need the gospel. The gospel is necessary. It is the necessary ingredient to bring a person to saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And when a person believes the gospel and receives that truth into their hearts, there's something that happens here. And this is, and this is what Barnabas saw. They became new creations in Jesus Christ. And Paul the Apostle would talk about that in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. He said, therefore, if any man be in Christ. I like that. If any man be in Christ. In other words, the gospel's for everybody. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things have passed away. And he said, behold, all things have become new. Evidence of God's grace, isn't it? He can, you can see that. You can see the change in a person's life, can't you? And what happens is the wickedness that we partook of, and I can speak personally, the wickedness that I partook of, what happened is God removed it. People's hearts are changed. Lives are changed. And that is how precisely God's grace is seen. The prophet Ezekiel said this in chapter 36, verse 26. He said, a new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. Again, that is how the grace of God is seen. If we profess the Lord Jesus Christ, then know that others are looking on to see what that gospel that we profess has done for us. People are watching. People are watching. We need to expect that. We need to understand that. So my prayer is that, you know, for me and for each of us, that others would see the grace of God in us, how through changed lives. We're not to be Christians incognito. God changes lives. Let your light so shine among men before men that they would see your good works and glorify our Father which is in heaven. Well, Barnabas, he went to Antioch and he saw the grace of God. And look at verse 23. Again, and he exhorted them all that with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord. He exhorted them. He encouraged them. In the word cleave, it means to be persistent in loyalty. He encouraged the people to be persistent in loyalty to Caesar? No, to Jesus Christ. And how we need this kind of encouragement, don't we? To cleave to the Lord. And it's not merely a matter of receiving Jesus Christ as Savior and then dropping it from there. No, 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 it's much greater. It goes further than that. Because from the moment of salvation, we need to cleave to the Lord with purpose of heart. In other words, hold on to Jesus. Hold on to Jesus. It's a decision we make, this purposing in the heart, to follow after our Lord and Savior. It's a purpose in the heart. Our brother Larry DeMeo sent this to me this week regarding Martha and Mary, and it, it just so works. I said, Larry, you mind if I share this? He said, no, please do. In the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10, verses 41 and 42, 
It says, Jesus said, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things, but one thing is needful, and Mary hath chosen that good part which shall not be taken away from her. It says of Martha and Mary that Mary chose the better part. Now, it doesn't say that Martha chose the worst part. It just says that Mary chose the better part. And here's what, it's, what, it, what he wrote. The thing is, you don't have to choose the worst part. That will just happen. You don't have to choose a life of distractions, problems, busyness, or losing sight of God. That will just happen. It will happen because you didn't choose anything. You have to choose the better part like Mary chose the better part. If you don't, then many other things will pull you. They will divide you. They will distract you and will squeeze out time with God. Martha was all over the place, but Mary chose the better part. So if you don't choose, you will be all over the place too. You'll be dragged over. You'll, you, do you want the better part? Well, stop being dragged. You're going to have to choose time with God and make it stick. Commit to it. Make it something that cannot be shaken. The good things of God don't just come. They are chosen. Barnabas encouraged them in this way to cleave to the Lord with purpose of heart. In our cleaving to the Lord with purpose of heart, it's vital to our relationship with Jesus. Now, what does purpose of heart mean? It means with a, 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 thick, a firm mind, a fixed mind, and settled in our heart that this relationship that we have with Jesus would be my plan for life. Our main object, it would be our primary intent. I think of King David, who in Psalm 57, verse 7, he said this, hey, my heart is fixed. My heart is fixed, O Lord. In other words, my heart is set on God. And this is what Barnabas encouraged the people, the Christians in Antioch, to do. And when you think about it, we have a moment-by-moment -moment choice to make, to cleave to the Lord with purpose of heart, which means a firm mind set on the Lord, the ways of the Lord, his priorities. So the question that I think is important to ask and to certainly answer, are you cleaving to the Lord with purpose of heart? Is, is your heart fixed on the Lord? Or is something in the way? Do we make a choice like Mary? Or just let things kind of carry on like Martha? At which point things kind of sift into our lives that really don't add to our relationship with Jesus. And he wants our relationship to be solid. So, here's some suggestions that will help each of us cleave to the Lord with purpose of heart. There's four of them, and I think these are very, very important. The first is this. Give the Word of God its proper place and priority in your life. Don't let a day go by without spending some time in the Word of God. We cannot find our way through this world without the instructions that we get from the Word of God. Where else are you going to get perfect instruction? And don't say Dr. Phil. although he offers some good advice. But God's advice is what? It's perfect. 
Psalm 1, verses 1 and 2 says, Blessed is the, is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law does he meditate day and night. It's God's prescription for us. So first, give the word of God its proper place in your life and proper priority. Second, not only should we choose to read and meditate on the word of God daily, but also we should be spending time fellowshipping with our God in prayer and waiting upon our Lord to speak to us in prayer. Prayer is the Christian's vital breath. That's why Paul the Apostle said in 1 Thessalonians 5.17, he said, pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. It means to have a lifestyle of prayer. Does it mean that you must be praying 24 hours a day every second of the day? No, no, no. It means to have a lifestyle of prayer, an attitude of prayer. Something comes up, God, I don't know what to do with this thing. Or I need help. I want your will. Give me wisdom. Whatever it is, bring it before the Lord in prayer. And this is what, what, what we're encouraged to do. And I'd suggest, too, that a person who, a believer who's not given to prayer will always fall short in intimacy with God. So if you want intimacy with God, be a man or woman of prayer. Spend time in the Word. Third, if we're going to cleave to the Lord with purpose of heart, we must, we must be in fellowship. Communing, seek, seeking communion with other believers. Hebrews 10, verse 25 says, Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. What day are we talking about here? The return of Jesus Christ. <laughs> so the encouragement is, as we see that day approaching, which it is, you know, we should gather together more and more rather than less and less. And, and how vital this is, family, to our cleaving to the Lord. We need to be here to encourage one another. Barnabas could not have encouraged them if they didn't gather. The sad truth is this, that since the onset of what is termed the pandemic, many people, and I'm talking about the church at large. I'm not talking about specifically this church. I'm talking about the church at large Many people have not returned, have chosen not to assemble together. And I'm not being critical. This is a fact, though. And people have their reasons, and I understand people have their reasons. But the point is, God says, no. You come. Don't forsake the assembling of the brethren together. And I think God says that, and don't, not I think, I know God says that for a purpose, and that is this, that none of us, and we can think, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm fine just the way I am all by myself, but none of us are strong enough in and of ourselves to navigate this life without the encouragement and strengthening of the brethren. God said we, we need one another. And when you come, you realize that we need one another, right? We need one another. We need to assemble together and not be neglectful. 
So we're to exhort one another, to be helpers of one another in the faith. Well, how do we do that? Well, that, we can't do it apart from meeting together. You have a conversation with somebody. What's going on in your life? Well, let me tell you. Well, fine, let me pray with you. Let me encourage you. I've been through something like that. And here's what happened. Here's what God showed me. Maybe he'll show you something like that too. I mean, that, that's encouraging and strengthening one another, isn't it? And we need it. The fourth thing that will help us in cleaving to the Lord with all purpose of heart is this. We need to wage war on our personal sin continually. We need to keep account with God. And when we yield to temptation and sin, rather than getting deeper and deeper into the things that are wrong and drifting farther and farther from God, at the moment of temptation that might be followed by sin, that's the time. That's the time, family, to turn to the Lord and face the matter at the cross of Christ. Listen, the cross of Christ is not a place of condemnation. Jesus was condemned on our behalf. He was put to death. We come to the cross of Christ recognizing that, 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 that Jesus that hung there, he did it so that I won't be condemned. And he died for my sin. He died for my shame. So what do we do when we come to the cross? We, we confess it. Which means just simply, we, we come to Jesus and we're honest with him and say, God, I agree with you. We confess it. We repent. We turn from it and we forsake it. And it's something that we do, we ought to be doing continually unless you never sin. And I can't imagine that being the case of anybody here. No, no offense. Because I'm at the head of the pack, believe me. 1 John 1, 9 says, if we, could, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Bring it to the cross. And you know what happens when you don't, don't you? You, you sense something. Some, you got something just it's not quite right here. But then we come to the cross of Christ. We confess our sin. We know he's faithful and just to forgive us. He restores us. He refreshes us, and it's yes. Now, just the other day, I did something really, really foolish. Um, I'd probably do something foolish every day, but this one time in particular, I, I got really defensive with my wife about something, and it was wrong. And after I got over myself... Sometimes it takes a while. I asked my wife to forgive me, and I asked Jesus to forgive me. And God does such a healing work when we do that, doesn't he? So why wouldn't we do it? Why wouldn't we? You see, again, family, we need to wage war on our personal sin continually. Those four things, that's what's meant by cleaving to the Lord with purpose of heart. And I must recognize his authority in my life and his ownership of my life. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 says, Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you. And this speaks, of course, to believers. Speaks of the, or the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and you are not your own. For you are bought with a price. And what a price God paid, huh? Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. 
So Barnabas, he encouraged. They, they sent the right guy, right? They sent the right guy. God sent the right guy to Antioch. Barnabas encouraged these believers to cleave to the Lord so that their lives would continually count for God. And I want to make that same encouragement. Cleave to the Lord so that your life would really count for God. Now we're told in verse 24 a little bit more about Barnabas. Verse 24 says, For he was a good man and full of the Holy Ghost and of faith, and much people were added unto the Lord. He's described as a good man. And I'm sure that every one of us would like that description of ourselves. Being described as good has much more meaning than talented, educated, intelligent, generous, whatever it might be. A person may be described as all those things and may not be considered to be good. Barnabas is called a good man. And I suppose you could make the argument, don't the scriptures say that there's none good? You're right. Romans 3.12, they are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. Well, what's he speaking of there? He's speaking of salvation. None of us are good enough to earn our way into the kingdom of heaven apart from Jesus Christ. We need Jesus. The Bible, however, describes a good man or a good woman. Psalm 37, verse 23 says, The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. So the goodness of Barnabas here means his steps are directed by the Lord. How about us? Are our steps ordered by the Lord? Are your steps ordered by the Lord or ordered in some other way? So Barnabas encouraged him in that way. A, a good man, his steps ordered by the Lord. And of course, that's great encouragement for us. Stay close to Jesus, family. Now, the, the other thing that Barnabas is described as, a man full of the Holy Ghost and of faith. Now, what does this mean? What does it mean to be full of the Holy Ghost and of faith? Well, let me mention this first before we get into that. Do you know that for the believer to be filled with the Holy Ghost is a command of God? And it's a command that's in present tense. Be filled with the Holy Spirit, the Scriptures tell us. And is it safe to, to say that what fills a man controls a man? I think so. Maybe you've heard someone say, ah, he's just so full of baloney. I've been told that. <laughs> or he's so full of himself. But God says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. What's being said about that person, it's all about control. Who controls the, a person? Is the person self-governed, self-reliant? Governed by the flesh, governed by sin, governed by stuff that corrupts. There's a million possibilities. But a spirit-filled man or woman is not a self-willed person, but a spirit-controlled person. And God is saying, let all of God control all of you. It means to live with the word of God permeating every area of our lives. This is so important. 
When a glass of water or a water, a water glass is full, it's full. You can't put any more in. And not only that, there's no room for anything else. And this is what God is saying to you and me. Be so filled with the Spirit that there's no room for anything else. Romans 13, verse 14 says, But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill the lusts thereof. So in essence, be so filled with the Holy Spirit, there's no room for me. I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit of God. And this is a command of God. And he has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. And if that's the case, then the Holy Spirit of God, the power of his spirit, is available to each of us. God wouldn't command us to do something that's unattainable, would he? Absolutely not. Well, how can we explain this? And I've shared this with you before, probably a couple of years ago. Go back to our example of a glass of water. Some people think that the command be filled with the Spirit means fill that glass up, guzzle it down, then refill it. So that would be a process of being filled, emptied, filled, emptied, over and over again. But that would imply that there's times that this emptiness is, is really okay as long as you refill. But that's not what God is saying to us. The true picture is this. Take that glass, cut off the bottom. It becomes like what? A, a pipe. And then you take that glass and you set it in a stream of moving water. And the glass never empties. It's always being filled. In and out, just continually, continually, continually. That's what being filled with the Spirit is all about. The Spirit of God is always there, and you cannot empty yourself of Him and hope that He returns. But you can't obstruct the flow. You can't even clog it, so there is no flow. Well, how can it be reestablished? Well, by removing the things that obstruct or even clog it. Well, what is it that obstructs or clogs the flow of the Spirit of God in your life? You know what it is. It's sin. It's sin. So to be completely unobstructed involves the confession of sin. We talked about this a moment ago. But to confess sin, well, something has to happen first. We need to acknowledge it. And that's where the Holy Spirit comes in. Remember in John 16, 8, one of the roles of the Spirit of God is to convict us of sin. The Spirit of God, we sin, and the Holy Spirit says, there it is. He doesn't say, there it is. He doesn't condemn us. He convicts us, which means that he's inviting us to the cross where we can find forgiveness, grace to help in time of need, It's got to be a pattern in our lives. We come to God in agreement that it's sinful. We confess it before the throne of God immediately and completely. And that leads to a pattern of life in the Spirit. Confession of sin, so that, that flow that we're talking about, being filled with the Holy Spirit, it, it resumes and it continues to be strong. 
And think about this. A clogged artery brings damage to the heart muscle. My dad is a miracle of medical science. Not only has he had a heart attack at 52, bypass surgery, he's, had, he's got 14 stents in his arteries. Why? Because the arteries were clogged. In order to, to establish that flow, they had to insert a little tube. He's got a whole bunch of them in there. And he's 90 years old. But you know what, family? A, a clogged spiritual artery also brings damage to the heart. Our spiritual heart, our, our core. So this confession of sin, it must be constant in the pattern for us. It's for our spiritual health and purpose to forsake sin and repent from it. Are you in that pattern? You know, Romans 12, verses 1 and 2, or Romans 12, verses 1, helps me understand. It says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice. In the word present, it's actually also in the present tense. It means to continually and constantly present ourselves to the Lord. So it involves confession of sin. It involves surrender of our will, correct? Surrender of our intellect, surrender of our bodies, our talents, desires, possessions, surrender all to God, and it's a process that flows continually. We have to make that decision every single day. It's not like, well, I presented myself as a living sacrifice to God three years ago, so I'm fine. I'm good for a while, but no, no, it's not what it's saying. It's in the present tense. It's a day-by-day -day kind of thing, a pattern of being broken when we need to be broken. It's a pattern of yielding when we need to yield to the Spirit of God, and certainly a pattern of restoration that is a result of yielding and brokenness, confession, and forgiveness. And it's not an arrival. It's a pursuit. Think about this. If you were to take a blank sheet of paper and you were to put your signature on the bottom of it and hand it to God and say, God, you know, I want you to be my spiritual health care proxy. Have your way in me any way you see fit. I give you permission. I surrender it to you. I trust you. And yes, he may ask you to testify and witness. That might be part of it, what his plan is. And be ready to do so. Because you're cleaving to the Lord with purpose of heart. The things that would prevent you from hearing him completely and obeying him completely, God has removed those through confession and repentance. It's a glorious thing. Cleansed and you're a conduit for his purposes. But you know, sometimes God asks us to be silent. There's an easy one. <laughs> Jesus, who had all the fullness of the Spirit of God, what does it tell us in scriptures that he was silent before his accusers? Do you ever have a tough time being silent before your accusers? <laughs> but sometimes God says, zip it. 
just, just be who you are in me. It can only happen if I'm filled with the Spirit. It's the only way. My flesh does not want to do that. I mean, you know, sometimes I say, my flesh, it's like there's another me, the flesh. No, no, it, it's me. Sometimes I want to wage war with this thing. God says, no, you just be quiet. Let the Spirit of God take control. Yes, yes, Lord. And when, we, when we're filled with the Spirit of God, what, what flows forth is so beautiful, the fruit of the Spirit. I don't want to go through those right now, but Galatians 5, 22 through 25. So a couple of questions here as we wrap up. Have you laid everything at the altar of Jesus Christ? Have you, have you laid your life down to him? We need to do that. And I, I know it's not easy. We got a lot of stuff going on in life, don't we? And sometimes we want to step out in the flesh. I can do that. I can fix that. I can correct that. But no. It belongs to Jesus. Are you filled with the Spirit of God? Or is there something standing in the way blocking that, that flow, that relationship, that flow of the Spirit? Or maybe you're so full of yourself that you've silenced the Spirit. I get there. I get that one. Maybe there's uh, some anger in your heart towards someone or some jealousy. Maybe filled with some ungodly stuff, taking in stuff that's damaging physically and spiritually. You know, maybe your spiritual blood pressure is high because you've got a clogged spiritual artery. Well, you know what, family? It's time. It's time for us to live a life of freedom. There's no, more, no greater freedom than freedom in Christ. Will you let Jesus set you free? He wants to. But will you allow him to do so? Will you allow him to cleanse you and to purge you and to restore you? Well, bring the obstructions to Jesus. Bring them to him. He already, listen, he already sees it. He already knows. Isn't it just... Uh, much easier just to say, God, yeah, I give this to you. Now, do whatever you need to do in me to make this relationship tighter than ever. Jesus has dealt with them on the cross, and it's time then to give them up and surrender to his lordship. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ, as make no provision for the flesh. And let, and let the garment of the new man or woman of God be so evident in your life that, that folks around you will see that you've been with Jesus. Remember in the book of Acts, they, they recognized that these, these men had been with Jesus. May that be the case with us. 
and that the Spirit of God is alive and well in us. And may others see the grace of God in your life. We touched on a lot of things this morning. I just want to summarize them really quickly here. Number one, do others see the grace of God in your life? You know, Barnabas saw the grace of God. He saw it in changed lives. Do others see a changed you? Maybe they didn't know you before, but do they see Christ in you? Second, how, how about the purpose of your heart in, in cleaving to the Lord? That's a choice. It's a choice. Yes, I'm going to do this. It, it must be followed by action. Have you given the word of God proper place in your life? And these are so essential for us. Have you given prayer the proper place in your life? How about consistency and fellowship? Have you given fellowship the proper place, place in your life? Are you living a life of a pattern of repentance? Quickly confessing the things that you know are an offense to God because God's spirit has his hand upon you. And he's convicted your heart. Do you bring it before the cross or do you make excuses for yourself? How about your steps? Are they ordered by the Lord? Barnabas is called a good man for one reason. His steps are ordered by the Lord. And last, last, are you filled with the Holy Spirit of God? These are all so important. They're so vitally important to our Christian walk. And you know, as we're filled with the Holy Spirit of God, he, he also gives the strength to carry out his will. You know, when, when the apostles were gathered on Pentecost, Jesus said that the Spirit of God will come upon you and you shall be witnesses. We need, we need the power of God's Spirit. So there's an opportunity to invite the Spirit of God to baptize you or baptize you afresh. And if there's anything that stands in the way of your relationship with him, listen, there's no better time than now. Just to allow God to do the work that he desires to do. And, and his work is always good. The scriptures tell us that his thoughts toward us are good and not of evil. And that his thoughts are more number than the sands of the sea. He's got a lot of good thoughts for you and no bad ones. I wish I could say the same. But I believe it to be true because God says it's true. So as we prepare our hearts for communion, I'd like to invite the worship team up here. And as, as they come up, and I think it's, it's very, very important that you know, as we approach the Lord's table, that we do this with the right heart. And, and number one, the Lord's table is for those, communion is for those that have trusted in Christ. It's, Jesus said you must be born again. If you're born again, we're going to partake freely and joy-filled, with joy-filled in our hearts. But if you, if you haven't yet come to Christ, if you're not saved, if you have any doubt about your salvation, well, let's, let's make that right first. 
That's the most important thing. That's God's mission. He sent Jesus to save us from our sins. So if that's the case, then, then just let's pray now. If there's anyone here that has not yet invited Jesus into their heart and received his forgiveness, let's, let's make that priority number one, okay? So Father, I come to you this morning and I recognize that I'm a sinner. I, I admit that. And I need help. I need your help. And I'm asking forgiveness from the only one who can extend it. And that is through Jesus Christ. The one who extended his arms on the cross and invited me at this very moment to come and receive the forgiveness of my sin. Jesus, please forgive me. I believe you died for me. I know you were buried and I know you rose from the dead on the third day. And you have given me brand new life. I invite you into my heart right now to be Lord of my life. I surrender this heart to you and ask you to help, to help me make the changes that are so important that I might bring you glory. I might bring you honor. I might bring you praise so that others would see the grace of God in me. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.